July, August is usually time for holidays, and many of us go away for holidays, and one of the favorite destinations is Hawaii. So usually we go to Hawaii and visit the churches there. However, today we are honored to have many Hawaiian Christians worshiping with us. They're all sitting around there, and we welcome you, and we're honored that you are here with us. Now, our lead pastor, who usually preach, uh, is away for three Sundays, and we are pleased today to have Pastor Mark Frogley with us today. Now, Pastor Mark just retired in April, so we didn't want him to, to stay in retirement too long, so we're having him here today to preach to us. And Pastor Mark is originally from Ontario. Now, uh, there's a fact about him that's very interesting, that three weeks after he got married, he moved to Vancouver and started uh, a ministry. So he's been in Vancouver since the 80s, but since 19, uh, 2002, he's been with uh, our NAB sister church in Sunshine Ridge until this April 30th when he retired. Married to Galen and uh, has two daughters and two grandchildren, right? So would you like to welcome Reverend Mark Frogley to our pulpit today? So we have eight people here from Hawaii, is that correct? Eight people from Hawaii, they're suffering here in Vancouver. Now, they came with the Nikolais, is that correct? Where are the Nikolais? There's Fern. Where's Egan? Oh, there's Egan. Egan. Back in the 80s, Egan almost ruined Burnaby. I don't know if you know that. I served a church in Burnaby. He was alderman there. And uh, actually, we got to do some fun things together. And but I was, I'm glad to see you again. You're looking so much older than I remember you before. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly right, Fern. I, it's good to see you, though, Egan, especially because uh, as I was coming here and had the privilege to come to uh, Bethany, you know, that, that's a pretty nice opportunity. And I, I didn't sleep well last night. I had this terrible dream. Terrible dream. And uh, Egan was in the dream. And here Egan, uh, Egan passed away, and he is met at the gates by none other than who? Peter, right? And Peter welcomes Egan in, and, and Egan is so happy to be there. He's thankful, and Peter says, let me show you to your new home. And so uh, Egan, you know how Egan is. He, he's, he's not a shy guy, right? He says to Peter... I'd love to see my new home, but, you know, I've always wanted to see the other place. Would that be possible? And Peter says, we've never had that request before. He said, but okay, you see that long hallway? Go down that long hallway, 
and you see, you'll come to an elevator at the very end of that hallway. Take that elevator down to the bottom, and the, the doors will open, but Egan, don't go out. Do not go out, or the doors will shut be, behind you, and you'll be there forever. So anyway, Egan does exactly that. He goes, he goes down that long hallway, goes down the elevator. The doors open up, and much to his surprise, it's like a polar ice cap. The wind's blowing, snow, blizzard, everything. He's tempted to go out, but he doesn't. He just looks for a few minutes, then uh, heads back up. And it, when he reaches the top of the elevator, Peter's there to meet you. And he says, well, did it live up to your expectations? And Egan said, no, I was expecting someplace hot, fire, burning. Peter looks at Egan and says, you don't understand, Egan. This is, that's the year this year that the Canucks win the Stanley Cup. Now, I don't know about the theology of that story at all, Egan. I'm not sure about your theology, but uh, we want to go from here this morning. It's good to see all of you. Good to see Dr. Hiller. Uh, I had roots at Alta Vista when I first came out, Alta Vista Baptist Church. And if you're a really long-time Bethany person, uh, you'll know the number of young men went to Alta Vista and stole the women from that, from that and married them. Is that, that's correct, Marion, right? Yes, yes. It's always good to see Dr. Hiller, but I'm a little concerned as well because my doctor, if you were part of his practice, my doctor was Silverthorne, and when Silverthorne was away, sometimes I saw Dr. Hiller, so he's seen me naked. And so I come with a little trepidation this morning in that regard. John chapter 5, I understand Steph, Steph contacted me, uh, I, my wife and I have been away for two months, we've been driving through this great continent of ours, and we were at the time, we phoned, uh, we were in southern Ontario, he called me about a month ago in desperation, he said, I've, I've tried 17 people, and they're not available to speak at Bethany, will you come, Mark? And so, so then I agreed, and he gave me this passage here. I guess you're, are you in a, you're in a series in the Gospel of John, I understand, over the summer. So look at John chapter 5, if you would. John 5, and uh, beginning at verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, You want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple. And he said to him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. 
The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Certain words uh, go through eras when they are very popular. Currently, we hear the word wellness. Do you not? You hear that word wellness quite a bit these days. It's everywhere. It's in literature. Uh, it's on bus and TV advertising for nutritional and medical products. This week, uh, I looked for an accurate definition of what wellness is supposed to mean. So I quote now what I discovered. Wellness is an active process of making choices toward a healthy and fulfilling life. Wellness is more than just being free of illness. It is, it's a dynamic process of change and growth. Maintaining wellness is absolutely crucial to a higher quality of life. Wellness matters because everything we do and every emotion we feel relates to our well-being. It is an ongoing circle. It is important that everyone pursue wellness in order to subdue stress, reduce the risk of illness, and ensure positive interactions, unquote. The article went on to say that there are eight dimensions to wellness. There's emotional wellness, there's environmental wellness, financial wellness, intellectual wellness, occupational wellness, and there's also physical, social, and spiritual wellness. The reason I raise this, this issue this morning is that the passage we come to this morning here in John chapter 5 focuses on a man who was supposedly looking for wellness. For 38 years, uh, the Apostle John here writes, 38 years this fellow had been physically handicapped. He had been unable to walk. And he hangs out at a pool known as Bethesda along with many, many other disabled people, hoping for his chance to be first into the pool when there is this turbulent stirring of the water. So let me give you some historical context here to the passage that we're at this morning. Let me fill in some of the blanks here that may be a bit confusing at this moment. John uh, has recorded this under the influence of the Holy Spirit here for understanding this morning. And we want to make sure we're clear as we go to it. So Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem... Near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. How many of you have been to Israel? Many of you have been? A few of you? You really ought to go. If you have an opportunity, you should go one day. It's, it, it just opens a lot of the windows. A lot of things that we see in the Scriptures suddenly become a lot clearer. Well, here we are at the old city. This is the old city here. And up here, there's several gates okay, in the old city, and here's the one that Jesus enters. He enters here by the sheep gate, here's the temple, and there is the pool of Bethesda. So it gives you a little idea. Go, if you move to that next, more, there's more, a more contemporary picture. Names have changed. If you've been there, it's sometimes known as the Lion's Gate now, and also I think it's called St. Stephen's, uh, but it's still that in the same location. That's the old city of Jerusalem, uh, the Pool of Bethesda, and there's the, the Sheep Gate or the Lion's Gate, as it's called on that uh, picture there. So it's just north, just north of the temple. And that's very important for you to note, because both of those places are mentioned and, and have significance in the story this morning. It was a large, 
It was a large pool, this Bethesda pool, and it was surrounded by five porches. It had been built years earlier to be a monument of wealth. But those who now occupy it are uh, people of sickness and disease. Healthy people stay away. Now the term Bethesda, how many are familiar with that term Bethesda? You've seen it before, have you not? Bethesda means a place or house of mercy. I believe the Naval Hospital in Maryland is, is referred to as Bethesda Hospital. I think there are more than one Bethesda Hospitals in this continent. And so it means house of mercy. And that's exactly what these destitute people were looking for in their suffering. Uh, picture it in your mind a crowded ancient swimming pool with numerous people waiting close to the edge, hoping to be the first into the pool at the right moment. Imagine, to parallel that today, an antiquated nursing home. Things have changed a lot in our extended care health facilities here in Greater Vancouver, for which I'm thankful. When I first started in 1980, there was a lot of older, antiquated nursing homes. A lot of people suffering, hurting, destitute, uh, not a lot to be done. And they were not the most pleasant places to be. They often smelled uh, uh, funny. And, and uh, it, I'm so thankful now that those, many of those are now gone and, and things have been updated greatly. But think of that in the context of, um, of what's happening here at the Pool of Bethesda. Recall maybe a scene you've seen on TV of orphans gathered in Bangladesh or the abandoned in New Delhi. And it will give you a taste of what people saw as they were passing the Pool of Bethesda. And to add to the, to the pathos of this scene was the superstitious belief that when the water stirred, that an angel was visiting. That that was an angel visit, and there came to be this legend that the first into the water could be healed of their malady. And so in the midst of their suffering, uh, that is what these uh, poolside patrons were holding on to. You'll see, how many are reading from the King James Version this morning? Any, anybody left? We have one, okay. Just one. You know what his motto is? It was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for him. Um, uh, the rest of us probably have an NIV or you might have an NESV. You, if you notice, there's a verse missing. Did you notice that? It jumps from three to five. That's because when the King James was translated in 1611, they only had, they only had manuscripts that went back to the fourth century. In that fourth verse, you'll have it down, by the way, if you're in the NIV, you'll have it down as a footnote. So it may or may not have been there initially, because we now have uh, manuscripts to go back to before the second century AD, and that verse is not there. But the legend was that when that water stirred, the water stirred, the angel was visiting, and the possibility of healing was there. The first one in would be healed. Of course, we know that that's a geothermal thing going on there. We know, we've seen it, we've been to places. We have lots of, we have radium hot springs, other places, even out, uh, just out in the valley where the waters stir and we know what that's about. But these people were living with this sort of false hope. And so for many centuries following, when this was first recorded, the, the pool of Bethesda, for many centuries, it was thought to be fictitious. 
It wasn't until late in the 1800s that it was unearthed, that it was found. And it's, it's, uh, if you've been to uh, Israel, you've probably seen the Pool of Bethesda. It's about 150 feet by uh, 300. So then in the, and then in the 1940s, uh, they uncovered an inscription of that word, Bethesda, thus validating for sure that this was the place that John had written about in chapter 5 of his gospel. And so that's what I want you to see this morning is the prologue to our story. We're, we are sort of entering into three scenes here. We've got a one-act play, and we've got three scenes. Look at it from that context this morning. So scene one, look at it, John 5, verse 1. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to the Feast of the Jews, and there's in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called the Pool of Bethesda. So he proceeds, Jesus comes into that, that, through that gate, and he immediately proceeds to that pool. And we are told that it's the Feast of the Jews. We're not sure whether that means Passover. It could possibly mean Pentecost as well, or perhaps another feast. But you see Jesus here this morning in this passage, you see what's slightly different from quite often when he meets with people. In this particular situation, he's on a specific mission. You see that? In the midst of all of the suffering which he's seeing, these people gather, these people trouble, these people looking for help. He goes to one specific individual. And you'll notice that man remains anonymous. We never find out his name. We don't know anything about him except that he had had his disability for 38 years. There may have been over 100 people or more around the pool. And, and Jesus here shows up unannounced. He is not there to hold a healing service like Catherine Coleman or Benny Hinn or an Ernest Lainsley. He didn't suddenly walk out into the water at the Pool of Bethesda and broadcast his intentions that we're going to shut this place down today. I'll be walking around each one of you for a small donation to my ministry. I will touch you and you'll be healed. No, nothing like that. Instead, Jesus walks here onto this porch and he looks for one man in particular and he proceeds to ask him a question. Do you want to get well? Charles Schultz, creator of the cartoon Peanuts, on one occasion had Lucy telling Charlie Brown, life is like a deck chair. Like what, said Charlie? Haven't you ever been on a cruise ship, Charlie Brown? Passengers open up these canvas deck chairs so they can sit in the sun. Some people place their chairs facing to the rear so they can see where they've gone. Others face it forward so they can see where they're going. On the cruise ship of life, Charlie Brown, which way is your chair facing? Charlie ponders that question a moment, then he replies, gee, I've never been able to get mine unfolded. Do you ever feel like Charlie Brown? Well, this morning, say hello to a Charlie Brown from the first century, a man who for 38 years lay by this pool of life without so much as unfolding the deck chair. But one day, this stranger appears out of nowhere, picks his way through the crowd by, uh, by the pool, stood by the beggar, and he asked what seems to be the most insensitive question you could ever ask someone who has a disability. Don't you think? When you look at it on face value, do you want to be well? 
That's what Jesus says to him. You have to wonder if the, the man's first response was unprincipled. Well, I want to get well. Why else would I be sitting here for 38 years waiting for the waters to bubble? Of course I want to get well. On the surface, that's what Jesus' question looks like. Well, let, let's get a little deeper here this morning because uh, from another perspective, it's a very, very relevant question to ask. Sometimes sick people don't want to get well. And there are often good reasons for their reluctance. I'm sure if you talk to one of your doctors here, they would, they would tell you it. They've had patients like that in the past. When you get well, you lose one set of obvious problems. But sometimes you gain a whole new set of issues that are more troublesome. You know, when there's an alcoholic in a family and they seek help and ultimately overcome and work through that, there's a, a set of other issues that now appear in the whole family system that were not there before. Same with drug addiction. Perhaps a physically, when, when a spouse has to leave a physically abusive spouse, the symptom is gone, but there are still issues that unfold. Maybe an unhappy childhood. Sometimes we are unwilling to pay the price for our wellness. End scene one. Come to scene two. Chapter five, John, uh, verse nine. Once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. So the man in John 5, he's really a prime example of this truth of do you really want to get well? I'm not sure. Let, let's unpack this here. The moment he starts walking, you see, the moment he starts walking, he ends up having trouble with the religious Gestapo. For 38 years, he hasn't had to worry about keeping the law. But he's walking along with his mat under his arm. He's forgotten that it's the Sabbath, and he gets busted by the Sabbath day cops here. You can tell this man is, is not used to taking responsibility for his actions because he responds by saying, in effect, Don't blame me. It's not my fault. The guy who healed me told me to pick up my mat and walk. And now the cops, the cops want to know who this guy is. And suddenly, the former invalid is caught in the crossfire and he's left scratching his head, wondering if life wasn't better back at the pool, or at least uh, less complicated. Now he has to worry about keeping the law. Now he has to worry about getting a job. Now he has to worry about paying taxes. Now he has to worry about taking out the garbage, pulling his weight in the world now as a responsible citizen. Had he become too dependent on his disability? Picture Jesus showing up here this morning and making the rounds here as the great physician. Would he meet some of us dragging around our problems, our hurts, our troubles, things that we've been carrying around for Five years or ten years or 38 years? 
Imagine Jesus looking into your eyes, my eyes, saying, do you want to get well? On the surface, it sounds obvious. But do you really want to be healed of those past hurts? Do you really want to be set free from that secret sin? Do you really, do you really want to be freed from that addiction? Do you really want to let go of that bitterness and be liberated? Do you really want to let go of all that anger? Or do you prefer to carry it with you? Are you ready to let me be your financial manager? Do you want to lose that, that constant worry and rest in my care? There are times in our lives we want God, we, we plead for God to get us through the current crisis that we are going through. But do we really, do we really want to be healed? Do we really want to be set free? Do we really want to be liberated to run the race without the past dragging us down? Sometimes we really don't want to get well because our struggle is actually bringing us some benefit that we may not want to surrender. There's a, a fella, I'll call him Jim today. He's, been, he's hung around Sunshine Ridge for, for quite a while. He's, he's been homeless most of the time, and we have built a relationship up over the years. And he's, he, he won't get a full-time job. He'll, he'll work, he'll get enough money for that day, or try to get, you know, but he just sort of lives hand-to-mouth and... When he hasn't got something, he's usually at the door looking for something, right? Looking for some assistance, looking for some help. And, and he makes these steps forward, and he falls back. And he, he's, got, he's got drug issues, and, uh, and this has been ongoing for several years. I took him uh, in March. I took him to hear Franklin Graham speak. And it was on the Friday night. He loved it. He, I talked to him about Christ before and shared the faith. He knew all about it, but he jumped out of his seat. He, I couldn't keep up with him. He ran down those stairs and onto the arena floor and was met there by a, a good counselor, which he spent half an hour with. And, and the joy that he had after that experience, he was hugging people he didn't know in the arena. That's just the way he can be at times. And, and Christ has impacted him. And he has listened. But he, his life continues to be this, this coaster, this roller coaster, this thing where he doesn't want to get a job, where he doesn't want to, you know. He, so I have to ask the question, do you really want to get well? The beggar, disabled man of 38 years was just one of many people in Israel who survived on handouts. For a rich person to give charity to the poor was considered very generous, like it is today. Beggars could survive if they played their cards right. And if you've been in the Middle East, you will see people who are professional at it. And with this individual healed, he was forced to face the consequences now of being well. Friend, God may have brought you here this morning to ask you the same question. You want to be well? You wish to be healed? The Holy Spirit will reveal where that may be in your life at the present time. 
It may be in your marriage. It might be in your tongue. With your tongue, rather, or a past emotional scar. Acknowledge it before God and your willingness to get well. I really urge, if that's happening this morning, to respond as the Spirit leads you. Remember the guy at the pool. He had to do more. He had to do more than just lie on his mat when Jesus encountered him. In order for that it to happen, he was compelled to get off that mat, to pick it up, to walk away. And maybe it will be this day for you. Maybe it will be taking the initiative with your spouse and owning your part of the problems in your marriage at present. Perhaps it's a hidden sin that you need to confess to your pastor or a trusted friend. Maybe it's about forgiving someone you've held a grudge against for a long time. Or maybe it's about getting back on track in your relationship with God. Just picking up your Bible and making, making that focused effort once more to rebuild your closeness to Him. Scene 3. John 5, verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and he said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, friends here, this is huge. Don't miss out here on the meaning behind this verse. This man's healing didn't conclude the moment he picked up the mat. Later, we're seeing Jesus finds him. Jesus deliberately goes looking for him again. The word found here in the present tense indicates that Jesus actually went searching for him. It wasn't just like they happened to pass each other at the temple later on. Jesus was looking for him because he had a much higher purpose for this man than merely healing his legs and enabling him to walk again. Look at it again. See you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Be careful how you interpret those words this morning. At face value, one would assume that that Jesus is upset and he's warning this, this man. It's a challenge to pursue for all of us what is most important in life. He had been physically healed, but there was something more important than having his legs back. I have also come, Jesus indicates here, for your soul. And we all need to see this clearly because our problem, our problems in life, the problems that present them to us are not really the root. They're not really the source when it gets right down to it. He was physically handicapped, but his spiritual malady was far more important. True wellness for those who dare follow Jesus, goes much deeper. We have problems that may be physical. We have problems that may be mental or emotional or financial or social. But our greatest concern, our greatest need, our greatest wellness is the spiritual. You want to get well? Or just have Jesus remove that current issue in your life? You want to be able to sing, it is well with my legs, or it is well with my soul. The amazing thing about Jesus is that he wants to do both in our life, doesn't he? He will be there for us as we deal with the problems that come our way, so that he can show us what we really need. What all of us need, 
most in life is a radical, personal, all-consuming relationship with him to learn to walk with him in this life so that what the issues that come, the problems, the obstacles that we face, we can walk through with him. The king of kings, he wants to far more than rescue you from life's problems. He wants to save all of us for eternity and establish in all of us a hunger to walk with him in this life. Your life is not running as it should. The core issue is not your job. It is not necessarily a rocky marriage or your financial picture or a kid that's totally out of control. It is not your hurts or your habits or your hang-ups. It is often a disconnected relationship with your Heavenly Father that needs rebooting. The Apostle Paul, you're probably familiar if you've been a Christian a while, name was originally Saul. We encounter him initially in Acts chapter 7, persecuting Christians. He's there participating in the death of Stephen, and he has that marvelous, amazing um, conversion in Acts chapter 9 where Jesus confronts him. At that moment, he confronts him, and he sends Ananias to him, and he says to Ananias, I'm going to this, show this man how much he must suffer for my sake. And the Apostle Paul is saved in a marvelous way. And then he documents over the next decades of his life, if you look at first, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he documents all the things that went wrong, all the things that he had to encounter. He was beaten five times. He was stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked. He went without food, hungry. There was bandits to deal with, he writes about. All these things. And yet, what could he write to the Philippian church? It's on the screen before us now. This is what he writes to the Philippians. I am not saying this because I am need, for I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this. Through Christ who gives me strength. I, when I began in my, my first church in Burnaby, about 1981 or so, 82, somewhere in there, I was getting to know some of the, the, lady, the people in the church, the older ladies, and one of them was in hospital and she was in for a knee replacement. And uh, we enjoyed a very significant afternoon. I've been impressed with her. She always had a smile on her face, yet she lived in this tiny home this tiny home in South Burnaby didn't have a lot in terms of this world's goods, but she was, she was devoted to Jesus. She loved Jesus, and uh, she shared with me her story. I asked her how she could be this way, and she said, I've claimed this verse. I've learned that I can be content in all things. She had gone through it. She, she married, started off well, and her husband went off the rails ultimately, and more influenced by the employees at work and became drunkard, alcoholic. And uh, she would tell me she, he wouldn't show up Friday night. He'd, Saturday night might show up Sunday night. He, she never knew whether there'd be any paycheck left. But this was the passage. This was the verse that she claimed, I've learned to be content in all things. 
great testimony to me. Last week I was at, in the hospice. There's a great hospice next to Delta Hospital. Visiting one of uh, um, close friend was there and um, one of our members at Sunshine Ridge. And I happened to read the plaque as I was leaving of the person who was responsible for getting that hospice up and running. And I read the inscription, a little story. And at the bottom was, guess what? Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that? Do you want to be well? Claim this. Be content in all and every circumstance. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who walks with me. Amen? Father, thank you for your word today. We're so thankful for its truth. We're so thankful, Lord, that you have given it to us, this great map for the journey. Lord, we confess at times we don't really want to be healed. We want you to get out of our, uh, to get out of our situation at times that is really bringing us down, but we know the greatest healing is loving you, walking with you, inviting you to lead our lives day by day, no matter what we encounter. And so for any today who are struggling, Father, may this be a moment once more, to grab onto that wellness that you invite us to, to drink in deep of your spirit, to get reignited with you, to walk with you, to know that you will always be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.